Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, returning once again this week in spite of inexplicably fierce popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host for all of this evening's bonkers antics. And with me in the studio tonight is Brigadier Bonkers himself, Tony Kerr. It's horrendous. Uh, as you said, inexplicably fierce. Fairly galling, actually, some of the criticism <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. No, it's all been good, hasn't it? Tough to take. Some of it is. The tweets and the Facebook comments is one thing, but it's the letters, because I, I don't even know how they've got our postal address. But, uh, yeah, it's the letters that I find uh, hurtful. Like my mum shouldn't really need to read those. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> I tell her, don't open it. Don't open them. My mum wrote quite a lot. Well, so. <laughs> it's just mainly our mums exchanging, <laughs> just like sending letters to each of our houses. How's it going this week, Zane? Uh, yeah, really good, thanks. I am... As tired, I think, as I've ever been <laughs> this week. Brilliant. But there we go, just thought I'd lay that out there now. I'm pretty sure you say that every week. Yeah, but it does seem to just be escalating. You sound kind of drunk, you're that tired. Well, I think, well you've wandered in, haven't you? I've, just, I've literally just finished work about ten minutes ago. Yeah. I've been here all day. I know, I've been loving it. I've been, I've been out of work for a full hour, so <laughs> the ashes are over. Thank God. Can you believe it? No, no it's been, uh, it is actually fairly crazy to look back. Uh, do you remember when we stood in the, in the waves watching the end of the first test? I do remember that, Tony. It yeah. seems like yesterday. We were down that same beach as well uh, on the opening day of the series. Cause I took that day off work, as you remember, listening to TMS down there. And then, yeah, watched the, uh, the climax of the Trent Bridge test, watched it on your phone. Then were the days, weren't they, me and you, <laughs> so. standing in the waves watching the, uh, the Trent Bridge test? Certainly were. God. Tests four water. and five have just flown by. I bet he haven't even registered, really. The whole series has flown yeah. by. I mean, in some ways, it feels like forever ago, that first day. But in other ways, it's absolutely raced past. I, uh, I get that's the nature of time, though. I guess, isn't it? That it's that so, it passes. It, it passes, and it sort of feels like you know, sometimes it feels like it's a really long time ago, and things can feel both a really long time ago and not that long ago. That's just how it works. Time. It is quite weird, though, isn't it? I guess we're sort of so accustomed to it because you have it your entire life, but. When you think about it, it is weird that we kind of experience the passage of time in different ways. You know, you might have five really slow days, like long, slow days at work or whatever. And you'd think five slow days would add up to a slow week. But actually, the week races past, mm. like the weeks slide past so quickly. That's actually quite a weird thing, isn't it? Am I right? I think you are right on that, actually. I think you're spot on. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week's race, but I don't know, I've just been, I don't know. I haven't had time to think, really. Uh, it's been ridiculous the last two weeks. You haven't had time to shave. You haven't had time to shower, which is no, actually a I've bit unpleasant. Changed my bed in here. about two weeks. It's basically been a, a minefield of kind of work and socialising. Yeah, that's the been thing. Stumbling You're through. like, oh god, <laughs> I'm just, blowing. I'm absolutely been run ragged by work this week. Plus, I've been out three nights in a row as well. So, it was a bank holiday weekend, of course, wasn't it? Uh, it was this weekend. What did you get up to for your bank holiday? Uh, worked. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the most stupid thing I attended was the dinner on Friday night, uh, having had three really long days at work. Uh, I then stupidly went to a dinner with you. Not just that, Which led to me getting home really far too late. Uh, I had to get the early flight on Saturday. I did some football commentary in the UK. Uh, so I worked all Saturday, and then I went out. And then went out on Sunday because it was like an all-day music festival, which I didn't actually get to because of other commitments. We did. I saw you. Well, there. I was there for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and then I worked I on say, Monday. You, I definitely saw you there. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. There was this. Mu- it's a music festival in a castle here in Guernsey, and our friend's band was uh, was closing the main stage. Yeah, and I ran into you there, and uh, it was it was just quite funny because I I turned up at about ten o'clock, and I drove there and parked, and then came in just to see our, our friend's band play. I saw you there, and you were like, dude, oh, <laughs> great to see you. Uh, how are you getting home, by the way? You're driving. <laughs> like, yes, you can have a lift home. Don't worry about yeah. it. You're like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. God, this and, ran then, off. and then managed to, <laughs> managed to invite several other people into my car as well. <laughs> did I? Without telling me, yeah. Who did we give lifts to? Well, uh, our friend Alex, friend of the show, Alex, asked for a lift home as well, uh, which was fine. But then as we were leaving, I was like, are uh, you ready to And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick, <laughs> we're going. I was like, I don't actually have room in my car. But, yeah. Alex was Alex in the car. Yes, Alex was in the car. How drunk were you? I'm not drunk, but I don't really remember that. You, well, you, you were drunk enough to run away from a policeman when he tried to t- take your beer off you. Yeah, I don't like, go, go. It's <laughs> like I'm not. But then it also like I, because I'd arrived late. It was after people had started to leave, so I got a parking space like right outside. You had a great parking space. Great space, except that we left as everyone was leaving. Yeah. And so driving away from there was an absolute nightmare because there were hundreds of people walking down the motor road. I felt like it felt like that scene in Argo where they're driving, <laughs> right, through, yeah. they're driving through to get the away. square. People hammering on the hammering <laughs> on the get windows. In. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I had you in the back yelling obscenities <laughs> out the window. I was not yelling obscenities. <laughs> Yeah. Or like that bit in War of the Worlds where, you know, everyone's trying to like, everyone's really, je- they want the car. <laughs> so, I mean, that it was really particularly horrifying when you got dragged through the windscreen. Uh, you've, you've had quite a good recovery, though. It's a remarkable recovery. Yeah. Uh, no, just for the benefit of myself and for the benefit of the listeners, uh, I did evade a policeman at one stage. Yeah. But that's only because I don't believe in restrictions on alcohol consumption. <laughs> kind of geographic like geographically I, th- I think that's how the law works as well if you don't agree with a particular law <laughs> then they can't get you on it I was no, no obscenity shouted although I don't recall much of that car journey it would seem at this point <laughs> yeah there were definitely some obscenities I won't I won't explain exactly what they were I but. don't think there were any obscenities really <laughs> uh, but yeah all in all everyone had fun you know, no one got hurt apart from me being dragged through the windscreen apart from that unsavory incident but we forgot about Bloody that pretty you. quickly. We moved on from that. The other thing that you did this weekend that annoyed me, just <laughs> just if I can use this as a forum to air some grievances, was then on Monday night, loads of people went around to our, our friend's house to watch the football, to watch Man U Chelsea. And I turned up, I'd been somewhere else, and I turned up towards the end of the second half. And I was ringing the bell and hammering on the door <laughs> of the flat. And obviously the TV was on so loud that no one could hear me. And I was literally, it was like a sort of, I felt like it was in an episode of The Bill or something, like I was hammering on the door (laughs) like a policeman. And then I tried to phone several people who were there and no one was picking up. I eventually got through to you and I was like, Tony, thank God, I'm outside the door. Can you come and let me in? And you went, uh, (laughs) yeah. I was like, what do you mean? But you didn't want to get up because you thought someone would steal your seat. That's unbelievable. No, You'd leave me out in the cold. No, but it it was just thinking time when I was picking out who I was going to ask to, to let you in. Because, you know, everyone's had this. 
uh, when there's a large number of people in watching a sports match, for example, seats are at a premium. Yeah. Uh, so you can't on, just on your give feet, them away if you're a co-host. Couldn't <laughs> do that. So I just had to judge the situation, gauge it. And I, I think I gauged it pretty well. You weren't waiting out there too long. <laughs> you went, uh, <laughs> for about 15 seconds. Uh, well, nothing you did annoy me this weekend, Adam. Oh, that's so, good, yeah. It'd be good to know. So, you know, I'm not going to spread any muck over the internet about <laughs> you. Ashes. 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 The ashes are over, Tone. The ashes are quite literally over. Uh, the final test of the series took place at the Oval over the weekend. And it was a, a strange game. Australia batting first, made 492 for nine declared in the first innings. Shane Watson with a breathtaking 100, 176 he made. He, he took England's bowlers to the cleaners on the first day. Steve Smith with a maiden test century as well, 138 not out. Uh, England in response uh, ground their way to 377 all out. It was a very slow progress at times, half centuries for Joe Root and Kevin Peterson and contributions all the way down. James Faulkner taking four for 51 on debut. But the entire fourth day of the match was lost to rain, which meant that England were still batting in their first innings on the fifth morning. So when Australia came to bat, searching for a first win of the summer, uh, they knew they had to score rapid runs and, and set up a declaration. They made 111 for six. Uh, Stuart Broad took four for 43. And that's setting in a target of 227 runs in 43 overs. So Michael Clark sort of dangling the carrot there for England. And they did go after that carrot. It was a thrilling run chase. Kevin Peterson made 62 from 55 balls. That's England's fastest ever Ashes half century. Jonathan Trott also with a half century. And it looked like they were going to get to the target. They were 206 for five with four overs left in the day uh, when the umpires got together and decided that the light was no longer good enough to continue. They brought the players off and the game finished as a draw, uh, which was a, a pretty controversial ending to what was, I would say, a, a peculiar test match. At one stage, it did appear as though it was going to go down in the annals as one of the most tedious games in the history of the sport. Four days of turgid, desperately uninteresting cricket. Well, three days of turgid, desperately uninteresting cricket and then a fourth day that was rained off. Uh, I remember Bumble saying about the Nagpur test uh, last year that if it had been going on in his back garden, he'd have shut the blinds. <laughs> if this game had been going on in my back garden, I'd probably have moved. Uh, but then it exploded into life on the final day. An absolutely thrilling denouement. Fantastic run chase. England going well. Looked like they were going to get there. And then after all of that, the game finished as an anti-climax with the umpires taking the players off for the light. And that was hugely disappointing to all the people in the crowd and all the millions of people watching on TV. And it has prompted a lot of anger from commentators and journalists. And it's even had Andy Flower uh, and one or two other notable figures uh, in, in the ECB um, arguing that there should be a change in the bad light regulation. What did you make of it all, Tone? Uh, uh, yeah, you've heard yeah. that before. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, there isn't really a word, is there, for it? Stupid is one of them, I guess. It's the closest you get. Just a bit sad. Sad end. Weird, and as you say, very peculiar test in many ways. Kind of what happened over the weekend, England's slow scoring uh, was making a bit of a mockery of the whole series and of everything, uh, of me and you. Uh, and then... <laughs> Monday, uh, sorry, Sunday, uh, it was actually equally bizarre. It was like a weird kind of test 2020 match, wasn't it? Uh, with a full house, I had dance music on as well. So it did feel <laughs> like I had a bit of the jazz and kind of like so the, the razzmatazz of a 2020 fixture. I could have been watching 2020 at, at certain points. 
So, yeah, it, it was a very strange end to the series. It's been a weird series in many ways for me. I find it hard. I don't know where this fits in to my life. I don't really know what you mean by uh, that. Well, it's just been really strange. I found a lot of the coverage, a lot of the kind of reaction to it a bit weird. Uh, I find myself I'm questioning why I'm so underwhelmed by it. Right. It's posed a lot of questions actually for me, really, <laughs> mentally. It's made you reevaluate like, your own life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, strange end. Do you think they could have done anything else, the umpires? Is it just a situation where they should have used their common sense and said, okay, that's the regulation that we, that we should take them off? But actually, you know, this is a dead rubber game, so it doesn't matter who well, wins yeah, exactly, or loses. Yeah. Like, there's a crowd here, and it's, you know, it's such a bad thing for cricket to, to have a conclusion like that because, you know, maybe people coming in, turning the TV on, going, oh, what's this? Oh, test cricket. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a look at this, see what this is about. And they're, they're getting so excited about it, and then as bad light stops play, and yeah. that's a draw. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I don't it? really buy that, though, as a, as a kind of reason. In many ways, actually, I think it's kind of the reverse. Uh, well, you don't yeah. want new fans. No, this, no, this We've kind got of, all the fans this we want. This kind of controversy. It's interesting, isn't it, in a way? And I, you know, because that's great. It's not like, how many people are actually walking in and going, what's this? <laughs> oh, it's cricket. You know, like people Ooh, know about cricket. It's been cricket? around for Ooh, hundreds of years. This? Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? So I don't think that would put people off. I don't think cricket lost any fans. Well, hard to quantify, I guess. Yeah, hard to, hard to put an exact I think there are other, you know, there are other aspects of cricket which probably put people off more than that. Uh, but certainly for... It doesn't help, though, does it? No. But certainly for, you know, the cricket-watching public, an annoying end to a match, because it's just... It's a joke, isn't it? It's a bit, they may as well just have a power cut and, walk, you know, and the TV goes off. It's a, it's a slightly tricky one, though. I do, I do think it's a little bit more complicated than maybe some of the the commentators and so on ha- have made out because, yeah, it, it was immensely frustrating and it's a really disappointing end and you don't want to see it happen. Uh, but on the other hand, you can't actually play cricket in the dark and the umpires do have a responsibility. Yes, they have a responsibility to the public to, to keep the game alive as long as they possibly can, but they also have a responsibility to keep the players safe and they also have a responsibility to keep the contest fair and there's no doubt that I mean, yes, possibly the Australian fielders were exaggerating a little bit, but it must have been getting very, very difficult for the boundary fielders to pick up the ball. And if it's reaching a situation where the game is no longer fair because England is smashing the ball around and the fielders can't see it, then can you continue to play cricket? Yeah, no, I agree. And, it, you know, it isn't... Whilst it is meaningless in the context of the series, you know, every test does have a consequence on the ratings and the rankings. So, yes, you can't just gift England... The, the the victory just because the crowd is there and wants yeah. to see it happen but equally you know? just bung the floodlights on you know well that's the point isn't it maybe there are ways around it like yes you, you couldn't continue playing cricket in that way but maybe put the floodlights on maybe bring the pink ball out and this is where cricket can be so rigid and I, I understand because it's you're no longer playing under the same conditions and therefore is the contest still fair but if you're trying to strike a balance between keeping it going as a spectacle and keeping it fair then maybe that's something you could do yeah, and also I think it does come back slightly to uh, the kind of nonsense way that test venues in England has, have been managed, and it slightly annoys me a bit, you know. So we didn't have any play on Sunday. Um, sorry, I'm going one day ahead. Uh, so we didn't have any play on Saturday. So you know, thousands of punters there not seeing any cricket, and, and I know there's this whole pressure on uh, the grounds to uh, the, the, the whole the, the tension between like making money, like big ticket price stuff, but you can't charge people a full price when they don't have a conclusion to a match. Um, but you can't sell a book that with the last two pages ripped out. <laughs> it's it's like meaningless. So, like, how you can do that? Yeah, I mean, well, it's slightly different, isn't it? But I, I yeah, I I mean, what happened? No one knows what happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> given like what they probably did is like shepherded all the crowd out, finished the match, didn't tell anyone what happened. <laughs> that would probably be more annoying. Well, it was it was undoubtedly very unsatisfactory uh, to watch, and you know, had it been a critical moment, had it been a, a crucial test match, and England had been going for a win that would have you know changed the outcome of the series, and they'd gone off in those circumstances, I would have been absolutely fuming. Then on the other hand, if they had continued to play and Australia had lost and lost the Ashes as a result, they would have been absolutely fuming and understandably so. So it is a very complicated situation, but you've got to think that maybe there's a way they can work around these things because the most important thing is is to not shoot yourself in the foot, which which you do feel is kind of what happened here. Yeah, I mean, the only way it could have been, I think, possibly wound people up more is if there'd been a DRS review and the umpires had taken the players <laughs> off between the time of the review being called and the actual review happening. So they're like, no, we're not going to have time to see. That would have been brilliant. Well, before that extraordinary final day, the thing that this game was most likely to be remembered for, you'd say, was England's team selection. A selection that I think you you could at best describe as optimistic. Uh, they decided to hand debuts to Chris Wokes and left-arm spinner Simon Kerrigan. And they both endured pretty torrid first days, particularly Kerrigan, who was absolutely tonked around by Shane Watson. He bowled eight overs, none for 53. Uh, and his first two overs in particular were difficult viewing. It, he appeared to just get the yips, didn't he? Bowled a, a, an array, a smorgasbord of, of half-trackers and dreadful full tosses and was just bowling really slowly with, with no bite whatsoever, no revs. It was awkward viewing, wasn't it? Just felt really sorry for him, particularly as Cook didn't give him another bowl after that. Yeah, he didn't bowl at all on day two, did he? Or or in Australia's second innings either. It's a bit like your game's to Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I yeah, cut, cut the clap. Some of your actually, games, no, hang on, some of your games, not all. No, you've come into it. You've... Well, thanks very much. I mean, leading, <laughs> leading wicket taker this season. So one of my favourite things, actually, in cricket is uh, when, like, in cricket that, that I'm playing, is when uh, the captain has to tell a bowler, whether it be me or anyone else, that he's taking them out of the attack. It's happened to me a couple of times this season when my last over's got smashed around. He comes up and goes, have a rest there, mate. So, <laughs> Or I have a blow. So I've bowled two overs. I'm not that tired. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I que- yeah, I'd question England's selection in this match. I'd also question the fact that the uh, one-day series is completely weakened by the fact that, I've said the fact quite a lot, uh, by the fact that five top players have been rested in that. I don't think it should be rested in the fifth test. It's a nonsense. Well, I'm not sure they were rested in the fifth test, were they? Well, no one was rested. Bresnan, no one rested, but Bresnan was injured. You know, best, do, they was like, dropped. Play a better, play a stronger team. Well, yeah, it, it wasn't so much that players were being rested. I guess it was that Wokes and Kerrigan were brought in, and you did feel it was a sort of experiment, wasn't it? They wanted to see whether uh, Wokes could be the all-rounder that they've been, you know, missing ever since Flintoff has has gone, and they wanted to see whether Kerrigan could do the job that Panazar's been doing because there's you know big question marks over Monty Panazar at the moment, and is Kerrigan a, a Test match? quality spin bowler can they take him on the plane to Australia so you can sort of see where they were coming from but it came out of left field and you know you'd have to say that it was a gamble that did not pay off I mean Wokes batted very well I thought in the game and in some ways that was the thing that surprised me I mean I know his batting has improved a lot but I I didn't see him as a test match number six but he didn't look out of his depth there at all it was just with the ball that he's he's not that penetrative so you've got to say that he probably can't be there as the third seamer, maybe as the fourth, if his batting is good enough. But it was a strange one because England just have, have never shown any willingness to, to play five balls at all. And then suddenly they, they went for it. And I would have thought if they were going to 
have an experiment, then the experiment would be bring Tremlett in and see whether he has still got it. I mean, he's the one that's going to be really important this winter, I would have thought. So that's the experiment that I would have uh, I would have carried out. Is that it for Simon Kerrigan as a test cricketer, do you think? I mean, surely they can't take him to Australia now. I mean, very unfair on the basis of eight overs when he was clearly just unbelievably nervous to to write him off after that. Hugely unfair, but can they take him to Australia? Would Cook trust him? Well, I mean, yeah, he certainly wouldn't be the first and won't be the last player just to play one test and disappear, would he? But uh, yeah, he probably can. Yeah, he definitely can come back, but he can't go to Australia now, as you say. <laughs> back to county cricket for a couple of years, really. I guess the person that must have been absolutely loving it is Monty Panazar, uh, because as I say, Kerrigan was, was brought in as a kind of, can he be Monty? Uh, and the answer to that was no. So it looks like Monty is going to have to be Monty. <laughs> Monty is Monty. I guess the other standout aspect of that, that first few days was that innings by Shane Watson. It's been a long time coming. It's basically three years since his last Test century, which was in India. Uh, he's played a lot of Test matches since then, and he, he has had extraordinary faith placed in him by the selectors when you consider the amount that Phil Hughes and Ed Cowan, Usman Khawaja, etc., have been chopped and changed. Watson has just been first choice throughout the entire period and he's not been scoring hundreds. I think Watson's also his kind of one day form in 2020 form certainly lifts, raises above those players, doesn't he? In That's terms absolutely of true. Kudos yeah. And... yeah, and he's an all rounder and he has the, the pedigree from things he's done before. So there's reasons for it, but it is still quite remarkable that he's gone such a long time without making runs. And this year, you know, he had a dreadful tour of, of India and you'd have to say it was a pretty miserable series for him before this. So it was an enormously encouraging innings from Australia's point of view because it did seem like he was kind of breaking out of the shackles that England had imposed on him. He, he looked like he didn't know where his next run was coming from, had all those doubts about his front pad, uh, and then he went out and played with an, a huge amount of freedom. Uh, perhaps no coincidence that it was in the game that Tim Bresnan wasn't playing in because I, I think it's Bresnan's been the one that Watson's found so difficult. So it was a very encouraging innings for Australia, but in some ways perhaps not all that instructive. I mean, I, I guess you know it's all very well to do it now but he, he couldn't do it when the series was on the line I mean maybe it just makes it even more disappointing that he, he couldn't do it when the series was on the line because it's you know a kind of remind, he can do a it reminder <laughs> that he can do it well exactly uh, and you know Steve Smith got a century uh, it was the highest score of the series I think mentioning Kerrigan and Wokes etc it wasn't England's strongest bowling attack so yeah all that told yeah I mean no, well played Shane but you know <laughs> see you again next you know in a couple of weeks yeah and then perhaps if we move on to talking about the series as a whole, I reckon we should probably get this out of the way <laughs> at the start, the thing that you really want to talk about, uh, because the series did finish 3-0, uh, which I don't want to admit, but have to admit, is the scoreline that you predicted before the start. You know, I don't have to make a big deal out of it either, I think, because, you know, I've got a, I've got a track record of, of making correct series predictions. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think 3-0, I mean, what are we, two or three months later, have we learned anything Really, no would be the answer. Have we learned anything from the series? <laughs> well, in, in I don't know what there is to learn. Ways, no. But, you know, it, it kind of, I don't know. And that's part of what has made it slightly underwhelming, I think, for me, is that it's as, as entirely as I predicted. Almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> like, so, so arrogant about this prediction. <laughs> I mean, I, I predicted 3 1, didn't I? And You're I feel like I, was, I wasn't too far <laughs> off there. Mate, but if Australia won at Old Trafford, which they probably would have done. I would have got that right. But, you, I mean, you've been going on I and on about... I do wonder what you, you were smoking when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> you've just been going on and on about this 3-0 thing. I mean, when I did see you on Sunday night at the Earth Fair, you're like, all right, mate, uh, how are you getting home? And also, it's 3-0. 
It's like, would you want a medal? And you were like, yes, yes, I do want a medal. So I've got a medal to give you now, Tone. And this is going to be pretty much exactly like the end of uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New <laughs> right. Hope. Uh, so I'm going to play the music now. <laughs> Where do I stand? If you're wondering what all those guys in funny helmets were doing lined up I outside on the steps. Wait, where do you want me? Uh, do I have well, to say anything? Yeah, if you see, we well, can see Princess Leia over Hang there. Yeah, I'll just go and stand. Yeah, where, where should I stand? Well, you see Princess Leia, right? right? Yeah. Just go and stand by her because she's going to present you with the medal. Okay. We've got Chewie. Here, here comes Artie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. This whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing was just an elaborate setup. <laughs> So you could do an R2 impression. <laughs> Come on. My R2 impression is me whistling. That's not, I'm not, I'm not doing that thinking people are going to be like, wow, he's so talented. <laughs> he can do an R2-D2 impression. Oh, God. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop that. Uh, yeah. That's well, so a very nice medal anyway. Thanks very much. You've got a medal. Well done. It's my first ever medal. Your first ever medal that you've actually earned. <laughs> actually, and just not just borrowed to be photographed with. Not the first medal you've had around your neck. Uh, uh, no, but anyway, well, 3-0, fair result. Well, I was going to ask you that question because obviously it's the result that you called, but is it a fair result? Is it, you know, is it a fair reflection of what happened in the series that England won three tests and Australia didn't win any? Does that accurately reflect the, the, the balance of power? I think it probably does, you know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you'd say Australia not winning a test, England winning three seems like a bit of a walloping. But a 3 0 scoreline doesn't necessarily, it's not a, it's not a complete demolition job as 4-0 would be or 5-0 even <laughs> uh, you know as some obviously notable uh, you know notable pundits were predicting uh, so you know and it certainly wasn't walloping and I think England you know I think we have been disappointed I'm going to speak for you now as well yeah I think we have been disappointed by some of the performances uh, within the England team as well you know they haven't they've haven't actually looked that good have they yeah I know it's, it's you know, a really stages. bizarre situation in a lot of ways because you do come out of this series feeling quite disappointed with the way England played a lot of the time. And yet they've won the Ashes 3-0. And, you know, as I've said before, if you'd offered me that scoreline in the 1990s, I'd have probably exploded. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you hear a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of ex-pros, a lot of people who played, a lot of the guys who played for England in the 90s, you know, in the early 2000s, saying, you know, three Ashes wins in a row. You know, am I, am I dreaming? I couldn't, you know, we, we couldn't have ever believed this. And yeah, 3-0 is obviously a really decisive scoreline and Australia did do pretty well and there were a few a couple of players who yeah did look good and I think some aspects of their game are better than uh, than perhaps they're given credit for but at the end of the day uh, or at the end of the summer no they weren't really good enough in all in all three areas yeah no no, absolutely they weren't and I don't think anyone is seriously arguing I don't think any serious people are arguing that Australia deserve to win the series I think England definitely deserve to win but I think it it is probably a slightly um, unfair-looking score. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think, you know, maybe 3-1 would have been more fair. Coincidentally, that's the score I predicted. So, you know, perhaps that (laughs) would have been more accurate. You didn't factor in rain. Well, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't factor in rain. Unfortunately, I'm not Michael Fish like you. But... There's this strange situation now as well where, you know, like when England were playing New Zealand and, and they didn't enforce the follow on and there was, you know, all this talk about like, oh, they're not being aggressive enough. And it's like, yeah, OK, they can get away with it against New Zealand, but it won't be good enough against Australia. And that's been a thing for years that whatever England do, however comfortably they win. Yeah, they've won comfortably now, but it won't be good enough against Australia. And there's the same sense pervading this series where it's like, yeah, well, they've, I mean, they've played this way and they've won 3-0, but that won't be good enough. Um, yeah, like, because, because <laughs> yeah. where do you go now? Like, what, what is it that people are expecting at this point? What, what do people want from the England Test cricket team. Yeah, it's a good point. And what the fact is that, that this Australian side of now aren't clearly aren't as good as the one of ten years ago. But you know they are comparable to many of the other sides in world cricket. So you know, and England are a better side at the moment. So by kind of by not just scraping through, but by winning fairly comfortably uh, this summer, yeah, they've they've done what the, England would probably do against a lot of other teams. Well, absolutely. And moment. I think if you look at Test cricket at the moment, you sort of assess. All the teams. I do feel like England are in a kind of limbo zone where they're they're not as good as South Africa, but they're quite a bit better than all the other teams. Uh, and the brutal truth is that actually Test cricket isn't that strong at the moment. And you know, aside from South Africa, who are you know a, a, an excellent team, and England the next rung below that. But yeah, there is a situation now where the Ashes isn't the absolute pinnacle for England, and and that's quite a strange thing for you know a lot of people. And it is difficult to difficult for the commentators to get their heads around. It's a strange thing with cricket, and particularly Test cricket, because when you're looking back and you think about like great players in the past, even say just in our lifetime, which is the only kind of frame of reference, yeah. it's hard to tally up when you think back about really good bowling performances, really good batting performances. You know, they can't happen at the same time. So either teams have got really good batsmen and good bowlers and they're happening, you know, like like Australia did for many years but, and blew everyone away. But for, for like for a lot of things, you, you kind of were disappointed with how uh, a few of England's batsmen have performed this summer, I am. But then there hasn't been the scope for the bowling has been very good and there hasn't been the kind of, they haven't been allowed to play that well. You can't really have it all, can you? I mean, yeah. What I'm trying to say is it's very rare that you, could, you can be satisfied with your batsmen and your bowlers unless you're playing someone who's obviously of much lesser quality. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I guess that's what we expected. And as you say, this series, to a large extent, did pan out exactly as we expected it to in the sense that we thought that Australia's bowlers would be more than good enough to keep England's batsmen in check, but that their, bats, but, but that their own batsmen wouldn't be good enough to support the bowling attack. And that is exactly what happened. The, you know, the bowlers did get on top of England on, on quite a number of occasions, and they certainly got on top of a number of individual English batsmen. But in the end, England were strong enough to yeah, see them off. And just. Yeah, just just about. And I think to and give... just in, 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 you know, in three of the matches. So. Yeah, and, and, to, and to give England some credit, 
while the Australian bowlers did get on top of them overall and you know certainly didn't allow them to get away England did hang in there they didn't get blown away they didn't go past 400 at all in the series which is extremely disappointing but they did go past 300 on well, six out of eight completed innings Australia apart from that big score well there's the big score in the uh, Manchester uh, and then the oval and we talked about why perhaps why they were allowed to get that many runs but yeah to find the next top Australia score is 296 six England scores in between uh, those so as you're saying yeah England consistently got 60, 70, 80 more runs. Yeah, and that was the difference. They they never got skittled out for a really low score. They never got bowled out for less than 200. Even when Ryan Harris and Peter Siddle were at their, at their absolute best. By contrast, Australia did get blown away on several occasions. And uh, once at Trent Bridge, once at Lords, once at Durham. Those were the three games that England won. And, and that's where they won the series. Despite that, there, as we say, there is kind of a sense that Australia are actually the happier of the two sides at the moment. People do feel a bit disappointed with the way that England played, whereas I think Australia fans feel that you know maybe they're playing the more enterprising brand of cricket. Maybe they feel the more confident side ahead of the uh, return series. They did arguably have the better of the two drawn games in this series. Certainly, I think they would have probably won it certainly they probably would have won at uh, Old Trafford they could easily have won at Trent Bridge as well only 14 runs away they could easily have won at Durham uh, until Stuart Broad intervened but as I say the, the and difference I think England got closer to beating them in the Oval because of the circumstances yeah of the declaration yeah, yeah the, it, it looks like England were going to win that game because Australia dangled the carrot which they didn't have to and they wouldn't have done but for the rain the critical thing is that Australia didn't win those games I mean England as I say were good enough when it mattered aside from Lords it's been pretty tight all the way through but at the key moment one or more of England's sort of match winning players has stepped up to the plate and England have now gone 13 tests unbeaten which means that by the time they get to Brisbane it'll be more than a year since they last lost a test match and if you think how many games they lost in 2012, when they, you know, whitewashed in the UAE, defeat to South Africa, etc., that is a terrific turnaround. And they should receive a huge amount of credit for that because they've become, under Alistair Cook, a tremendously difficult team to beat. So while 3-0 is, is possibly slightly harsher on Australia, I don't think there's any doubt that England do deserve to win this series. Who goes down as the man of the series for you? I mean, obviously, Ian Bell... Well, I mean, he's literally the man of the series, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't he? And that he was named man of the series. You know, tough to look beyond him for you? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, he was the only batsman to do it more than once. Uh, three times, in fact. I mean, comfortably the batsman of the series was Ian Bell. Uh, it's weird that Shane Watson ends up as the second top scorer, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. Was he second top for Australia, though? No, he? second top overall, 418. Yeah. No, get out. I don't believe it. Yeah. Oh, he's, oh, he's absolutely right, folks. He's absolutely right. Shane Watson, 418 runs. Uh, Kevin Peterson, third on the list, 388. It wasn't a great series for batsmen, really, was well, it? No, there's not only, at all. There's only one guy averaging uh, above 50, which is Bell. Um, Clark's averaging 47, but that seems a little bit odd to me. He must, yeah, yeah, he did have a couple of not-outs in there because uh, he got one big 100 beat and he got one other half-century in his other nine innings of the series. I felt like England actually did a pretty good job of keeping him quiet. Ryan Harris did a lot, didn't he, in his four tests? A huge amount. What did he get? 24 wickets, an average of 19.58. By distance, the most effective bowler. And that, after you know, coming in in the second test, yeah, really fantastic performance. Uh, really enjoyed watching him bowl. He's a, great, he's a good bowler to watch. You, you know, his name would have to be in that consideration. What about Brad Haddon? Broke the record for most catches in a test series. 
and I thought it was absolutely fantastic with the gloves in it, but perhaps not so good with the bat. And in a way, that was the exact opposite of what I was expecting. I thought he he might do all right with the bat, but perhaps you know his reactions might be you know he might be a step slower behind the stumps. But yeah, I find that around. I find that record kind of hard to get excited about, really, because uh, <laughs> you know all of the top you know the next few names on the list are all ashes you know it's all ashes series yeah because Obviously, it's, it's the oldest five and tests, it's five yeah. well, i was loving it. i was getting really excited <laughs> you just, you're willing you're it's like gone past marsh. <laughs> that was what i was yelling uh so and also you know it is the wicketkeeper's job to catch balls and he can only catch balls that have found the edge so he needed australia's bowlers to be yeah as so, good as they were for, for him to to be in the game that much yeah you're right about blur, that. tops about that and so yeah bell for me Swan was decent, wasn't Swan he? Swan was very good, yeah. Consistently good. Uh, finished with 26 wickets, the leading wicket taker on either side. I guess he was never quite devastating, was he? He did take a couple of five wicket hauls, and he was vitally important to England's win at Lords. But you know, he didn't quite run through Australia in the way that he's done against some other teams in the past. But he was very, very good throughout. He, he didn't really have a, a poor test. Yeah, I think the, the, the rest of the Aussie bowlers, Harris aside... Decent, Siddle, Stark. Lyon did all right, didn't he? Lyon did pretty in. well when he came in, yeah. Ashton Agar, I remember him. He <laughs> did quite that? so well. Do you remember that, Tone? Uh, well, all know, of the... Sorry, go on. And Broad and Anderson kind of did it, did it really well on a couple of occasions, but, and that, you know, that's kind of the story of England's bowling attack in the last few years. Everyone got really excited about Anderson after the first test, and rightly so, it was brilliant, but, you know, Broad did it as well, and Swan did it throughout the whole series. Well, all of this appears to be heading towards some kind of composite 11, doesn't it, Tone? I've been dreading it. <laughs> no, I'm, being, I'm buzzing. Well, just to explain it, <laughs> if I've understood the brief correctly, I've put together a team, one eleven, drawing on players from both England and Australia. Compos- never happened. Based, never on their, happen. based on their performance in the series. So I'm not going to do a... Uh, Paul Allett or whatever during the Champions Trophy he's like oh you got to have Chris Gale in there <laughs> I want Gale so if I pick this team he's like well you've got to have Trot I need Trot in there but, uh, he hasn't done it Allett yeah, in the, in the, in the, no well, he's got to be there he's got to be there uh, go so on then hit me th- right this is my team uh, an opening partnership of Chris Rogers and Joe Root uh, Shane Watson comes straight in at number three uh, then a middle order of Kevin Peterson Michael Clark, and Ian Bell Brad Haddon has the gloves Graham Swan is my spinner, and then a three-man seam attack of Stuart Broad, Ryan Harris, and Jimmy Anderson. So to run through that again for you, Rogers, Root, Watson, Peterson, Clark, Bell, Haddon, Swan, Broad, Harris, Anderson. So there are six from England, five from Australia. And before you ask, just to compare to my pre-series composite 11, uh, there are four changes with Rogers, Root, Haddon, and Harris coming in for Cook, Trot, Pryor, and Pattinson. More Australians in there than there were at the beginning, there were three Australians in the pre-series and there were five in the post-series. Well, and 6-5 doesn't reflect 3-0, doesn't it? It's not mirrored. No, that, that's, that's... There's an imbalance there, which I think we've... mathematical... <laughs> so, uh, which I think we've explored well, haven't we, in the build-up to the Composite 11. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I but again, this is the flaw with the Composite 11 process, isn't it? That uh, The key thing there is that Ian Bell was so good that he made the difference, you know, in a way that you've got to have Michael Clark in there, you've got to have Shane Watts in there because their opposite numbers didn't really do anything, but actually they weren't necessarily that effective, uh, whereas Ian Bell was so important. So that's that's where this composite 11 thing falls down. And it seems to be saying that all the time, so maybe we should just scrap it. Should we scrap the composite 11? Nah. No, nah, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. It's Everyone's my, doing them now. It's my favourite thing that I do. Everyone is doing them. Can yeah. I ask you for your moments of the series, Tone? 
That's given me just enough time to get up the BBC Sport article, 10 moments that shaped England's series win. Uh, and I'm going to pick all the moments. I'm going to pick moments that don't feature there, I think. Okay. Uh, I mean, they've included things like David Warner punches Joe Root, which I'm not going to include. That wasn't my highlight. Okay. My personal highlight, I think, was watching the end of the uh, end of the first test with you in the water. Yeah, it was just great what to spend great some moment. time with you. Yeah. <laughs> it was just away from cricket. <laughs> uh, yeah, we tried to have a nice day on the beach. <laughs> Didn't want to mention anything to do with the cricket, but no, oh, those are the days. <laughs> that morning uh, was fairly extraordinary. Up there with the best, kind of the most tense mornings in cricket. Yeah, and, and that years. game was up there with the best test matches in recent times. I mean, we said it at the time, and obviously there is a tendency to uh, overreact to things in the immediate aftermath of them, but... We did say that that's one of the great Ashes Test matches, and I would stand by that. I, I think it is right up there. I loved the Durham Test as well. The finale to that was absolutely terrific. And again, it has been quite a strange series because there have been two unbelievable Test matches, but then around them there's been a, you know, a pretty flat game at Lords because England was so dominant, a very flat game at Old Trafford uh, with the rain and everything, and an extremely flat game at the Oval, and then the most exciting day like ever, and then a very flat end. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a pretty... Um, Odd series. One of my moments of the series has got to be that Ashton Agar knock at Trent Bridge, which does seem like a long time ago now. But in terms of just sheer jaw-dropping, you know, pinch yourself, where were you when moments. Uh, where were you? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> in the front of the TV. <laughs> yeah. I was probably where I was throughout the whole series, which is on the sofa. Pretty easy to remember when you don't move. In my living room. Uh, no, I agree. And that was a weird one. Uh, you know, it's a shame, that, in a way, that the kind of that first test wasn't carried carried forward but uh it's just replayed that <laughs> it's a real <laughs> <four more times. laughs> uh it's a real shame that you know they didn't have four other tests afterwards to kind of build on that momentum <laughs> they got but no that that was that was pretty special wasn't it and it, it was there was actually so much in that first test i think afterwards i probably came in here and said uh you know it was good but it wasn't that good yeah you did uh yeah. looking back i'd snap your arm off for that again <laughs> <laughs> after what's happened since it was a phenomenal didn't test know match, how good yeah. i had it yeah uh but like you say yeah the agar knock was brilliant uh it was a brilliant knock it was worrying wasn't it because england had it looked like england were well on their way uh and suddenly all the people who'd come out and said oh it's gonna be 3-2 to australia or, it's, or australia gonna win the series were chirping so that was good give them a chance because they didn't have any you know they weren't gonna get any credit after that <laughs> Uh, but also it was a really weird thing that I found it really interesting how likeable he was and a lot of people were willing you know a lot of English fans were willing him to get to the 100 yeah. which is bizarre really <laughs> uh, very strange again though, that was part of the whole like well you know you've got to give him something <laughs> yeah give him uh, something to which possibly changed as the series went on uh, one thing that I've really enjoyed in the series is uh, watching some of the very high quality fast bowling that's been on display it hasn't been the most high quality series in terms of the actual cricket you know it's certainly not 2005, one of the great teams ever, and for a very brief period, a team that was right up there alongside them facing off. But I think the fast bowling on both sides has been fantastic at various times. Ryan Harris, uh, you've mentioned already, has been absolutely fantastic. James Anderson at Trent Bridge was mesmerising. Stuart Broad at Durham, and I thought actually Broad throughout the whole series was was absolutely terrific. Peter Siddle as well. Like the, the fast bowling's been brilliant, and, and to me, that's a, a really... Uh, great thing because there's no doubt that fast bowling has seen a sort of resurgence in the last few years for most of the noughties uh, fast bowling was was dying a death you had Dale Stane you had Brett Lee and that was about it you know the glory days of Ambrose Walsh Donald etc of the 90s 
were long gone. And these guys are not in that company at all, but it's a good thing that fast bowling was, was dominating the series or fast bowlers were dominating the series uh, in a way that perhaps they didn't in, say, 2009 um, or the, the series down under after that. And one other slightly more light-hearted thing that I really enjoyed about the series is that every time I turned on Test Match Special, um, if I turned it on and I, I wasn't sure what the score was, but I knew that Australia were batting, you could instantly tell if Michael Clark was batting because you just hear you know sound of ball on bat and then wide on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's Clark. Like, okay, they're three down. I've actually really enjoyed Michael Clark in general. Yeah, he's... I think he's come across really well. Yeah, we picked it early as well, didn't we? I picked it early anyway. That's another one of my <laughs> predictions. You know, I've, I've had a lot of other people coming in on that, following my lead, on giving Michael Clark some credit. But yeah, yeah, he does seem like yeah, and it, the Aussies won't like hearing it, but he does seem like quite a nice guy. Uh, you know, he's not brought the ashes home for you, but you know, it's not the winning, is it? Yeah, I've certainly I've warmed to him in a way that I never did to Ricky Ponting, uh, and I, and in fact, I think all the Australians have come across really well. Ryan Harris seems like a legend. Why are they you, will why are you grinning this. at me? Because no, I just think like. I don't know. If I know Aussies, and I don't at all, I've, <laughs> I don't I've know been any. there for three weeks of my life. <laughs> Other than that, my only experience with Aussies is bar staff in my local. Uh, yeah, and they're uh, brilliant. I obviously love them. Uh, but I, pre- I presume to think that they won't enjoy hearing that. Yeah, yeah I'm saying they're traditionally, nice, like nice boys. Traditionally, yeah, traditionally though, like England fans would have taken, or like English, English people would take, you know, if the stereotypes are to be believed, would, would be pleased with that. But... If the Aussie team of the 90s and the early noughties has taught me anything, it's that winning is the, the most important thing for them. <laughs> yeah, well, because they're supposed Being to be a nice. bit of mongrel. But, well, this may just be me personally, but I think if you're going to get beaten, it's better <laughs> to be magnanimous about it than not. I, I don't think that the fact that Michael Clark has come across well and seemed like, seems like a nice guy is the reason that Australia has lost. <laughs> well, so don't be yeah. annoyed about it. Well, uh, another highlight of the series for me is the face that uh, Shane Watson's face when he gets given out. <laughs> yes. We saw it so often. Uh, yeah, it was much much talked about. His LBW, his LBW face is hilarious. <laughs> Just a complete like disbelief and slightly kind of disdainful look. Uh, it's brilliant. I want to. I want really to make a compilation of it. He's so good that I remember in the uh, the last <laughs> series down under that uh, on the first morning of the Melbourne Test, I think he edged to slip off Anderson or off Tremlett. And yeah, just as the ball was in the air, like he just edged it, it hadn't reached slip yet, and you just heard this, oh no! It's a good. Wish more cricketers would do that. Yeah. Obviously, the, the England celebrations at the end was a, of the Oval Test was a very memorable thing for an England fan, uh, you know, with the, the champagne going and the lifting the air above, above their heads. It seemed to be much lighter at that point, I thought, but, uh, <laughs> but I did really enjoy as well that, you know, obviously they had everyone who played in the series was there. So I just really like when you know the camera pans around and you know there's Cook, there's Bell, there's Swan going mental, pans around, there's Kerrigan, he's getting involved, there's Steve Finn, remember him? He's loving it. And also Tim Bresden was bounding around. Watch your back, watch your back, Bred. Yeah. Go and have a lie down. Much like the 2013 Ashes, this episode of the World Cricket Show is well and truly over. What a roller coaster it's been, Tone. The Ashes and this episode, it's been an emotional one. Have you enjoyed this one, Tone? It's been really fun. I think I've come into it. You've grown you into know, it. As I was it's a bit gone. weary at the start, but I think I've really... I think I've gone the other way. <laughs> so if we're never both switched on at the same time. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode. It's the end of the Ashes. And speaking of things coming to an end, the cricket season has ended in Guernsey as well. Regular listeners, of course, are familiar 
with the fact that myself and Tony both play for a side in Guernsey Evening League Division 2 called Kobo Legends. Uh, and the last game of the season was this week. You missed out, Tone, again, but I played. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't dropped. You know. <laughs> yeah. They came to me first you missed the cut. when I wasn't available to play. I think they roped you in. You called me up. <laughs> uh, as we discussed uh, on last week's show, uh, we managed to avoid relegation. So that this last game was a, a dead rubber, essentially. Uh, but you know, looking to round things off in style, uh, lay down a marker ahead of next season. Uh, and we got absolutely slaughtered. Uh, it was a real massacre. I think we bowled up something like 65. Batting first, I came in at number eight with the score 17 for six. I had to face the last two balls of the opening bowler's spell. He finished with figures of four overs, five wickets for six runs, which are not bad figures, you'd have to say. But yeah, so very much fell to Bayfield to try and uh, drag <laughs> us towards respectability. As it often does. And of course, Bayfield responded and stepped up to the plate, smashed 21 swashbuckling runs, including three fours, and wait for this, a six. It's the first six I've ever hit in my lifetime. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Smashed it over square leg. Surprised myself. <laughs> That's not what I was trying to do. I was just like, oh, here's a ball. Hit this. <laughs> and it just sailed into the car park. I was like, wow. I wish I'd seen that. <laughs> really funny, though, at the end of the game. Because, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we got bowled up for 64 or 65. They knocked it off in about five overs. I did get a wicket, uh, but otherwise got hit around along with the rest of the bowlers. But at the end of the game, we came off having lost by eight wickets. Uh, and the captain sort of gathers us round in a circle for a debrief. Debrief for this game, but also a debrief for, for the season. He's like, congratulations, everyone. We managed to stay up. That was the, the main objective. But our number one priority for next season has to be to strengthen the squad we've got to strengthen we've got to get in six or seven new players stronger players we're all standing around like oh I love that so like you know, look around six or seven of you won't be here yeah. next April I mean that's exactly what he said yeah we have really got to strengthen this team did everyone just look at <laughs> you can cut they can bleep the name everyone did look at yeah, yeah. oh uh, no but yeah, so whether or not we will still be playing for, like for Cape Bay Legends next year remains to be seen. I mean, you've got to feel that we are, you know, we're pretty good for publicity, aren't we? So, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I really put my name in the mix with that uh, six. That, and I did, I actually yeah. did finish as the leading wicket taker this season. But I'm not sure that that fact has stuck in the mind of the captain because <laughs> he's still reluctant to bowl me if he's got <laughs> other, any other options. But... <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that's it for everything. It feels like the end of something this time, doesn't it? It feels, like, it feels like the end of term. It's the end of the ashes. It's the end of the summer. And it's the end of the podcast, too. I'm calling it. That's it. <laughs> We're get, done. For the next series, I'm, we need to get a stronger team. <laughs> we need to get one or two new presenters I've had enough. In. I'm getting in Downey Jr. and I'm getting in Alex Stewart. And they're going to they're gonna take over. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm not... taking the name <laughs> and the RSS feed. <laughs> I'm not spending another second in here with you. I'm really mucking about, of course. Oh. That's what we do. We have fun here, don't we? Uh, but, it, well, it might be. I, mean, I possibly should have talked to you about this before the show rather than on the show. I love this live on-air production meeting. It might be the last episode for a little while, do you think? I mean, we're off to America next week, aren't we, on, on holiday? On holiday. Yeah, we're going on, that as, you know, going on holiday together. <laughs> on holiday together with some other people as well. Yeah. As well going on a road trip to, uh, to find ourselves, aren't we? And, uh, but, yeah, so there, there won't be a World Cup show for a few weeks. I guess we'll, we'll miss out on the... Uh, the one-day series, if people think they can deal with that. Uh, but we'll be back at some point towards the end of September or the beginning of October. But it feels like a, a good moment to have a break. It's been a, it's been a long summer, hasn't it? Well, last week as well. I'm exhausted. 
Hmm? We took a break last week. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, that, that was a kind of enforced one, wasn't it? Whereas this is just us choosing. <laughs> this is us not we to just bother. Can't really be bothered. Um, no, we'll come back fresh. We'll populate the Facebook page and Twitter feeds with, you know, all kinds of pollution uh, from our trip to America. Photos of us. You looking forward to that little trip, Tom? Yeah, I'm buzzing, mate. You actually owe me quite a substantial sum of money. I know, at the I'm withholding that until I get. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we'll just call it quits for the, uh, the t-shirt money. <laughs> Uh, well anyway yeah so this is the last episode for a few weeks we'll let you know on Facebook and on Twitter and and so on uh, when we'll be coming back exactly but yeah it'll be in a few weeks time between now and then uh, if you want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show there's a number of things you can do you can go onto our online website which is www.cricketshow.net and you can find links to everything else including our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash cricket show and as Tony says we will post some photos and, and things when we're in America, when we're ladding around in America. Uh, follow us on Twitter Bleep that. as well, <laughs> twitter.com slash cricket show. You can follow Tony at Tony Cover, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. I assume you'll be tweeting from America, will you, Tony? Uh, yeah, probably will, actually. You have to remind me. <laughs> okay, I will. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And the best thing that you could do while we're away is uh, to leave us a review on iTunes uh, because we massively appreciate all of those. It does help us out push us up the rankings and, and uh, attract new listeners. So thanks to everyone who has done that. And if you haven't yet, do it now. Uh, but that's it for the moment. Stay in school, everybody. Back to school next week, isn't it, Tone? It is. Can you believe it? Uh, but yeah, we'll be gone for a little while. We'll miss you while we're away. But remember, we'll still be with you Just right tweet. here. Yeah, I'm tweeting, mainly. <laughs> Bye for now. Cheers, mate. I can smell your fear. So we can all go home. Right. Go back to your families. <laughs> How is the wife, by the way? She's doing well, yeah. Just waiting for me to get home, really. For <laughs> <laughs> the stupid pod. Uh, right, should we... Let's talk about the cricket, shall we? We should do, uh, shouldn't we? What I want to do is... Uh, well, I'll go through the old uh, scorecard and that, but then I want to talk about the game itself, the yeah. issues from there, and then talk about the, the series in general a little bit later and we can talk about your scoreline prediction then Happy as well. to. so Happy yeah to. We, we'll talk about the game first okay. okay i see what you're doing you're trying to push my score prediction you know as far towards Pretty the end it. of the podcast bury as possible it. bury it <laughs> uh, i won't let that happen listeners so 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 